Well, it's great to be with you this morning. Thankful for Wesley and thankful for uh, the team just just leading us today. And um, if uh, you are new with us today, my my name is Corey, and I serve as the the teaching pastor here at our our Plain City campus. And and we are in week three of our summer series called. Under the Sun, where we're finding ourselves in the Old Testament book of, of Ecclesiastes. And um, like I said, if you're new, grateful that you're here. want to let you know um, that you can kind of follow along with us this morning uh, with message notes by entering lpguest.com into the web browser of your phone. That's lpguest.com. Or you can scan that QR code on the back of the chair in front of you, and it will take you um, to message notes, to digital guest card, to events that are coming up. And so if you're with us each and every week, I want to encourage you to download the LifePoint app so you can access those resources uh, just a little bit quicker and keep up with all that's going on. Especially right now during this series, we have written over 20 devotionals um, that you can find under the Drivecast and Devos section of, of our app that go along with this series in, in Ecclesiastes. But as we jump in today, we are continuing to talk about how Solomon, the wisest man who, who's ever lived, was searching for, for meaning and for purpose and for satisfaction and contentment with everything that existed on this earth or life under the sun, as Solomon says. And each week, Solomon continues to show us the, the futility and the meaninglessness of his search why? Because Solomon reveals to us that God has placed eternity in the hearts of people and that we will never find the eternal in the temporal or the temporary. Which is why Solomon gets to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes and he writes, hey, here's my final conclusion. He says, my final conclusion is this, fear God, obey God's commands for this is everyone's duty. Right? We shared that final conclusion in week one, because it leads us to our big idea that we've been talking about each and every week for this series. And that big idea is this, is that, that God offers us a full life in an empty world. That God offers us a full life in an empty world. And so with that in mind, today we're going to find ourselves in, in chapter 6 of Ecclesiastes. And so if you've got your Bible, and I hope you do, or you've got your Bible app, go ahead and find Ecclesiastes chapter 6 with me. As you're making your way there, um, my 16-year-old son, he is working through driver's ed training right now. And so he's learning all of the rules and all of the etiquette and all of the road signs, which led me to, to share a story with him from, from my, my youth, right? Which is how when I was a teenager, right, my buddy and I decided it would be a spectacular idea to go borrow a road sign. So we headed out. Now, I grew up in the country. You got bored quick, right? So we headed out one evening, and, and we went and borrowed, which is just a kind way of saying we stole a road sign, all right, folks? We broke the law, and we brought it home to my parents' house, and, and, and like the brilliant genius I was, I was like, hey, mom and dad, look what we got, right? Like, didn't even try to hide it. Their response, they were like, are you out of your mind? What were you thinking? Do you know how, how terrible this is? Now, I knew was, I was in trouble, but what I wasn't picking up on was why they were so concerned with things. You see, it wasn't so much what I had done as it was the type of road sign I stole. We stole a stop sign, y'all. A stop sign. 
And not only did we just steal a stop sign, we stole a stop sign at one of the worst intersections in our town that you could steal a stop sign, right? So my parents are like, hey, idiots, like you, you can't, somebody's going to die if you don't put that sign back up. So somewhere around midnight that night, you would have found me and my buddy back at the stop sign place where we took it from, me on top of the shoulders of my six foot four friend, right, ratcheting back in a stop sign and putting it, it, it back, right? That was, that was what I had to share with my son, and I said, don't you ever do it, I'll kill you, right? So that's kind of how it works, right? Now, you may never stole a stop sign in, in, in your life, but I'm sure all of us have seen this road sign, right? Dead end. We've all seen that at some point in time, and we found ourselves at a dead end street, and chances are we didn't intend to be there. We didn't, we didn't mean to be there. We were searching for something else. We were looking for a different destination, and we turned down a road that we thought would lead us somewhere, but didn't. It wound up being a, a dead end. Well, today, as we continue in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, Solomon continues to show us with example after example that, that sometimes we turn down dead ends in life that ultimately go nowhere. Roads we think that lead to a certain destination, but truly do not. So with all that being said, let's jump in and look at verse 1 together today. Solomon writes, he says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. He says in verse 2, there's a man whom God gives wealth, whom God gives possessions and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. He says, this is vanity, it is grievous, it's a grievous evil. So Solomon looks around and he says, hey, here's something that kind of weighs heavy on, on people at times, and it's a great tragedy, that God who provides us everything would give someone all the resources for a, a satisfying life, but, but for one reason or, or another, he doesn't give them the ability to enjoy all that he's provided them. And at the end of verse 2, he says, he describes a person that has everything they, they need, but for some reason or, or another, a stranger enjoys all that that person has, has worked for. And what it reminds me of are these, these stories or even people we have, have known, right, that, that have worked hard and they've worked hard for a good life or they've worked hard towards retirement or something specific, right? And, and sadly, um, something medical happens and, and, and a medical incident leaves that person unable to enjoy what they had worked so hard for. Like, I, I think of my parents in, in this case, right? My mom and dad used to live up in northern Ohio, and my, my parents retired. And as they retired, they were like, that's it. We're done with the snow. We're moving to South Carolina. They, they moved, and sadly, after they moved, my dad had a, a, quite a few health issues that prevented him and my mom from, from traveling and enjoying life and, and going to the beach and eating out and doing all those things they had worked so hard to, to get to, right? So we've all known some folks like that, or we've known folks that have worked hard for peace and, and comfort in life, but then there's a crisis, and that crisis drains their bank account, or it drains the energy that they had to go live the life they always wanted. Or someone that passes away that accumulated a bunch of stuff but has never been able to enjoy all that they have uh, accumulated. And, and as I was thinking about this this week, I was just looking at the headlines in the news and I came across this headline, right, that, that due to inflation, 25% of Americans are delaying their retirement. 
that one in five that have retired are coming out of retirement to go back to work because of rising costs. They could not enjoy the life that they worked so hard and they hope they could enjoy these days. And so what Solomon's saying here in these opening verses is, hey, how fortunate is it for a, a person to have all that they need for a satisfying life, but how miserable would it be if he or she could not enjoy all of those things, right? And, and remember, it's okay to enjoy those things in life. Ecclesiastes 3.13, Solomon says, people should eat and they should drink and they should enjoy the fruits of their labor because those are gifts from God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 19, he says it's a good thing to receive wealth from God and it's, and it's a good thing to receive health and to enjoy all of it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. He says this is indeed a gift from God. So it's a gift to enjoy what we've been given, but what we've been given is not the ultimate goal. That there's so much more than just the temporary things of this world. And I think what we need reminded of in, in these moments as we work hard in life, and we should, and we enjoy the things in life, and we should, is this. No one can enjoy the gifts of God apart from the God who gives the gifts. That no one can enjoy the gifts of God apart from the God who gives the gifts. I love what Warren Wearsby says about this. He says, to enjoy the gifts without the giver is idolatry, and this can never satisfy the human heart. What Solomon continues to reiterate and try and tell us is that enjoyment without God is just entertainment, and it never truly satisfies. But enjoyment with God, the giver of our, our gifts, is enrichment, and with him we find true joy and satisfaction and contentment in life. And I think here's just a practical thing that we can pick up from what Solomon's telling us is that, hey, enjoy the blessings that God gives you now. Thank him for it. Give him the praise for all that he's given you. And don't just stockpile and plan to live later. Live life now and be satisfied with what God has given you, but use it all for his glory. Verse 3, Solomon continues and he says, if a man fathers a hundred children, how about that? You got, anybody want that? A hundred kids in your house? Okay. If a man fathers a hundred children, lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, he says, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place. Here in these verses, and kind of from here on, Son will share a few things, and it's kind of choppy or, or convoluted for us, but he's sharing a short story here. And he's saying, hey, he's describing a rich man who has an abundant life, abundant resources, abundant wealth, and he exaggerates to get his point across. Why? He says this rich man lives 2,000 years, right? 1,000 years twice over, and, and this rich man has, has, two, or has hundreds of kids. He uses this example, his, this exaggeration to get his point across because to an Old Testament Jew, these were marks of special favor on one's life. The longer you would live, the more kids you, you would have, right, the more prominence and stature you would have in society. So what Solomon's saying is, hey, here's this rich, wealthy person that has prominence and stature and all of the finances he needs. Seemingly, he's got it all. But then in the middle of verse 3, he says, the rich man dies and has no burial. To say no burial, it, it, to, to, for that to happen in context during that time was a way of saying, hey, 
His family didn't even mourn the loss of this rich man. They wouldn't even give him a funeral. It was like they were waiting for him to die. That maybe there, it was a loveless home. So much so that people didn't even mourn his death or come to celebrate his life. That he's surrounded by people that just wanted his, his wealth and they couldn't wait for him to pass away because they just wanted his in, inheritance in their life. What Solomon's showing us is this rich man seemingly had it all but enjoyed none of it. And then Solomon uses a difficult and tragic example of a, of a stillborn child. And what he's trying to say, it would have been better off if this, this rich man had never been born. And I just want to pause for a minute and just kind of take a detour and just say some of us, right, in this room have experienced the tragic loss of, of a child. And that hits really, really close to home for us today. And so just want to peel off just a second to let you know, I think the scriptures are clear that that child is in heaven and at peace today. Because we look at King David, who, who suffered the loss of a child. And, and David says that David, that the, the child could not come to David here on earth, but one day David would go to the child. What he's telling us is that, hey, one day I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to see that child in heaven. Right? So I think the scriptures are, are clear on that. I just want to take a moment to clarify that because I know that probably hit really close to home for somebody today. But Solomon, in this short story, right, he shares some details with us, and then he wraps up and he says, do not all go to one place. In other words, he's saying, hey, the end for all of us is the grave. And I think there's several things that we can pull out from this short story we, we could pull out that money and long life and a, a big family are ultimately worthless if your relationships aren't right. We could pull out that you can be rich, but you could still be poor. We could pull out that one can have all the outward signs of a, of a good life, but still not be satisfied with goodness. We could say that we can have all the things people dream of, yet one day die and just be unnoticed and unlamented and unfulfilled. However, I think the one thing that stuck out to me the most in, in this, this short story from Solomon is the reminder that death and the grave are imminent. Right? Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. That in life under the sun we can have riches and long life and big families and success and, and notoriety. But make no mistake, there will be a day all of us draw our last breath. And on that day, what I think Solomon is continuing to reinforce each and every week is that all that we've done and all that we've acquired in our life under the sun are temporal things that cannot and will not right, ensure eternal life for us. That those temporary things in this life are just a dead end that sometimes we think get us somewhere but truly do not. It reminds me of the story that, that Jesus told in Luke about a rich man who had a fertile farm and he produced all these crops. And this farmer said, what should I do? I've got so much. I don't, I don't know what to do with all that's been given to me. And he says, ah, I've got this idea. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'll tear down the barns I have. I'll, I'll build bigger barns and I'll store everything up in there, all my wheat, all my goods. And he says, then I'll sit back and say, eat Drink and be, be merry because I've got enough stored away for years to come. And God shows up and says to this farmer, you fool, this very night you will die. Then who will get everything you worked for? Right? In other words, is it going to be a stranger? Is it going to be somebody else? He says, you fool, 
You store up earthly wealth, but do not have a rich relationship with God. See, I think these, these verses that Solomon writes down is that continual reminder of the eternal to get our eyes focused on the eternal. And so what Solomon does each and every week for us is he's slamming the door regarding everything in life under the sun except one door, the door of faith. That Solomon is leading us to his ultimate conclusion that eternity and meaning and purpose and that which is eternal only comes when we turn to God and follow him through his son, Jesus Christ. That what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? Solomon continues to lead us to that. And in verse 7, he says, All the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. In other words, he's saying, we will always hunger. And because we always hunger, we're always going to have to work and we're never going to fully be satisfied. Verse 8, he says, For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Verse 9, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. In other words, enjoy what you have right in front of you instead of continuing desiring what you don't have. Right? It's the old saying, A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And what Solomon continues to paint, the picture he continues to paint for us is that whether rich or poor or wise or, or, or foolish, all of us, all of those folks, labor to stay alive. And the rich man can allow his money to go to work for him if he's got enough of it, but a poor man will use his physical body to go to work for, for him. But regardless if you're rich or poor, regardless if you're wise or foolish, after all of the labor, neither is fully satisfied in the things of this world. And again, remember, Solomon is not suggesting it's wrong to work or it's wrong to eat or it's wrong to be educated or improve oneself or, or to dream or to accomplish things. Because remember, God has given us all things to enjoy. However, if our life only consists of working and eating, then we are being controlled by our temporal appetite rather than that which is eternal. That the things of this world cannot ultimately offer us the rich life that we're looking for. That the things of this world ultimately lead to a dead end. That we must have something greater to live for. How do we live for something greater? It's to make sure our ambition in this life is motivated by the glory of God and not the, the praise of man. I'm reminded of Galatians 1.10 where the Apostle Paul writes, Am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says in John chapter 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Ephesians 6.6 6 says, as bondservants of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. The psalmist says in Psalm 16, you God make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, if we think our accomplishments will automatically and ultimately bring satisfaction, we are misguided. We're going down the wrong street. True satisfaction comes when we follow God with all of our heart. And Solomon wraps up in verse 10 saying, Whatever has come to be has already been named, 
and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with the one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. What is the advantage to man? This is Solomon's way. Again, kind of choppy, convoluted, but it's Solomon's way of saying, hey, God is God and we are not. That even though we don't say it, we want to be in charge and we want to control things and we often dispute with the one who is stronger. But we need to remember that God knows all, God is in control of all, and he's greater than all. That yes, we've been given free will, but in the end, we will answer to him. Remember that again, that's in Solomon's conclusion, that everything we do in secret, good or evil, will come before God one day. But how often, right, how often do we wrestle with God? How often do we try to fight over control with God? Too many times we're like sheep trying to break away from our shepherd and all that gets us is lost. And so here in chapter 6, Solomon, I think, at least in my opinion, uses some choppy examples but ultimately describes for us the dead-end street for those who have riches but no enjoyment, who constantly desire the next thing in this world and aren't satisfied with what's in front of them, who dream of more yet miss what's right there on a day-to-day basis for them who try to be God and control the outcome of life. So the question is then, where does that leave you and I today? I think it leaves us in two places. And those two places are this. Number one, I think it leaves us to press up. To press up. And you're like, hey, what what does that mean? It means the temptation for us is always going to be to try and find satisfaction and contentment and meaning and control in the riches of this world and our own strength. In laboring to make sure the outcome is just the way we want it. And and hey, I'm right there with you. My, My wife is sitting on the front row. She will tell you this is how I get sometimes. Hey, honey, if we just have this much money, then we'll be okay. If we craft the situation just like this, well, then it will work out in our favor. Have you ever found yourself in a spot where it's like, if I just manipulate things over here a little bit, then, then things will end up the way that I want them, right? That, that if our son or our daughter, if they just make that travel team or if they just make that AAU team, if we just work a little harder, if we just labor a little longer, and then, and then, and then, and then Solomon says, hey, if that's our approach to life, we're fools and we're missing it, that we're chasing after the wind, that we're trying to be God that we're pressing into trying to be the one that's in control over our own lives, that we're pressing into that which is harder, that we're pressing into that which is below instead of pressing up. It's Ephesians 2 and chapter 4, that, that God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, he, he made us alive together in Christ, that by grace we have been saved. In verse 6 says, he has raised us up and he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus right that when we look at things under the sun and we fixate our eyes and our life on things that are under the sun we act like we're seated in this world rather than seated in that which is heavenly Solomon's showing us again, we've said this before, that we are to look beyond the Son, S-U-N, and look to the Son, S-O-N, Jesus Christ, where we are seated in the heavenly places. It's Colossians 3.1, where we are told, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above, 
where Christ is, where he's seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, we're told, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth under the sun. And here's what I think is so cool for us. Something special for you and I today. That although Solomon was the, the wisest man who ever lived, although he had more money than all of us in this room combined, Solomon continued to write out of, the, out of frustration and the folly of trying to find meaning in life under the sun, not knowing that the ultimate answer to all he was searching for and all he was looking for would come 1,000 years later. And it's the advantage that you and I have of knowing that Jesus has come, the one who is the ultimate answer, that Jesus would come and let us know that we're on earth, our appetites are never satisfied, and we will always be hungry again, Jesus comes along and says, I am the bread of life. Whereas we are lost in, in our darkness and we fail so many times to keep the eternal mindset like we've been talking about, Jesus comes along and says, hey, I am the light of the world. Whereas we get stuck in the present and we fear the future and we, we fear the past, Jesus comes along and says, hey, before Abraham was, I am. Whereas we so many times even in Christ, are like sheep that have gone astray and try to run from God's rule and reign over our life, Jesus comes along and says, hey, calm down, I am the good shepherd. That where we try to follow our own way so many times and we try to wrestle with God over the meaning of life and our questions pile up and pile up and Jesus says, listen, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. See, Solomon shows us over and over again that we'll never be satisfied in this life. Yet what Solomon didn't know was a thousand years later, Jesus would come out of Nazareth and tell the whole world, hey, hey, listen, listen, I got you. Just look to me. I got you. Look to me. That in Jesus, we find purpose and we realize that we're here with a purpose. That in Jesus we find meaning and we realize that life has a meaning. Your life does have meaning. That in Jesus, even though we live under the sun, we have the ability to press up. That once we take our eyes and our hearts and our schedules and our lives and all that's been given to us and we begin to press up, we then have the challenge, and this is number two, of pressing in. Press in. And here's what I mean by this. Press into everything you've been given in this life and leverage it for the eternal. And we just get really practical with you as we, we close out our time together here because I think we hear press in and leverage everything in our lives and we make it harder and bigger than it needs to be. But listen, here's what I wanna say. It's easier than we think. That whether you sit here today and you have a lot of money or a little bit of money, if you have many things or a few things, if you have the big house or a one-bedroom apartment, right? If you have huge influence in those around you or small influence, if you've got a, a PhD or a GED, you might be articulate or not articulate. You might be outgoing or introverted. You might be young. You might be old. You might be experienced or inexperienced. Just take what you have. Take who you are. Take the moments that God's given you. Take the people that are right around you. Take your schedule. Take where you're located and press into those things and leverage them for the eternal. Here's how I want us to think about it, right? That conversation you're going to have this week with somebody at Red Hen 
or Dear Dutchman, right? You know y'all are going there at some point in time for a donut and a coffee, right? That conversation you have there, the moment where you got to help your neighbor move that piece of furniture because they can't, can't move it by themselves. If you find yourselves like us sometimes, we're at the end of a cul-de-sac and there's a knock on the door. Or we go knock on somebody's door. We're like, we're making something. We need one egg. Or we need one cup of sugar, right? Or, or those evenings where everybody's out in the cul-de-sac and playing and around each other. Or it's raising your, your kids, however crazy and defiant they can be at times. Or it's spending time with your grandkids. Or it's grabbing that cup of coffee with your coworker. It's the money that God's given you, the success that God's given you, the staff that God's given you, the achievements that God's given you. It's your marriage. It's your summer job that you, you have before school starts later this year. It's hanging out with your friends, and it's beginning to realize we don't have to make it harder than it needs to be. It's just asking ourselves an important, vital question that needs to shift for so many of us, and it's this. Do I view and approach life as meaningless temporal moments or are they meaningful, eternal opportunities? Right, look at that for a moment and let that sink in to who you are and where you are and all that's in front of you. Have you been walking through life and looking at meaningless temporal moments or as meaningful, eternal opportunities? Right, I'm so thankful. My, my son's baseball coach is right down here up front, and, and he has said to me, hey, man, the baseball field is my mission field. That's where I get the kids for Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. Right? It's not just baseball. That's not the end. How does he, he's leveraging that for the eternal. Do I view my life, the sugar, the coffee, the, the all of it, right? The, the interactions with the neighbor, are they just meaningless moments, or are they our eternal opportunities for us? Because either all that's been given to us it's just a meaningless vanity of dead ends. Or there are opportunities to press in and leverage them for the kingdom of God. Now here's, you, know, you might think, oh gosh, that, that's where you're going with it today? Yeah, because here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine with me right now what it would be like if we could fast forward to heaven one day and run into that person you talked to at Red Hen. Run into that neighbor you showed kindness to. Run into that coworker you got coffee with, that teammate you played sports with, those people you showed generosity to, your kids who gave you sleepless nights and defiant toddler years and rebellious teenage years. But you leverage those moments for the eternal. And you run into them in heaven one day and they find you and they look at you and they say, hey, it's because of you. Making the most of those moments. You showing me Christ that day. You pointing me towards the eternal. You exhibiting something different than the world that just showed me dead ends to that point. That mom, dad, I'm here because you decided that our house would, would serve the Lord. And they look at you and say, you may have thought those moments were not a big deal, but it changed the trajectory of my life. It changed my eternity. Because see, here's what it comes down to today. And I close with this. That either Jesus' death and resurrection are at the core of everything we do, or everything is truly vanity of vanities. And let me just say there's no in-between. I'm going to say that again, that either Jesus' death and resurrection are at, at the core and the cornerstone of everything we, we do or, or life is meaningless 
And there's no in-between. So as we finish, what will it be for us? What will it be for you? What will it be for me? Jesus is either the cornerstone for all that we do and all that we are, or he isn't. So how do you need to press up today? How do you need to press in this week? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together in Ecclesiastes. And Lord, I know we're here in in week three. And it can begin to seem like and Solomon saying the same thing over and over and over again. But I think it's so important for us because I've been guilty of it. I know I'll be guilty of it again. That we open up your word. We come to church on a Sunday. We're moved by the truth of your word. It, it cuts to, to our heart. It corrects. It rebukes. It trains us in how we should go. Your spirit moves in our life and we leave going, yeah, this is, this is how I got to be. This is how you want me to live. And by Tuesday, we have forgotten all of it. So Lord, as we work through these verses in Ecclesiastes, we may need to hear it all over again today because we need it. Because how often we wander, how often we forget, how often do we turn down certain roads in this life, seeking to get to a certain destination, but it's a dead end. Lord, help us to have eyes for that which is eternal, to seek the things that are above, to press up and to press in, leveraging our lives today for your kingdom. Lord, convict us and show us where you want us to do that. Lord, what great joy, what great hope that there's purpose to life. Do you have us here for a reason? Do you want us to use it for your glory and for your kingdom? Lord, thank you for Jesus, the cornerstone of our faith, the cornerstone of our life. Help us to build everything upon him him alone. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.